0: or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time. And get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, have you experimented with low carb or the keto diet, and maybe had some energy or digestive issues to go along with that? Well, the team at BiOptimizers have got you covered. One of their founders, Matt Gallant, has done keto for over 26 years, but he personally experienced some digestive issues and also found some of his clients didn't get that promised epic energy or experienced elevated triglycerides. So Matt and the team did a ton of research and real world testing to create the perfect combination of nutrients for optimizing fat, digestion, energy, metabolism, and fat loss enhancement. It's called Capex and it upgrades the way your body and cells function on a keto diet. Every ingredient performs a critical role for starters, CAPEX helps you break down the fat you eat into tiny fatty acids. Second, it assists in the transport of those fatty acids to your liver and your mitochondria, so they can be burned up at an accelerated rate. And third, by enhancing digestion and metabolic energy and function, CAPEX helps you smash through any fat loss plateaus. Other ingredients in CAPEX can also help lower inflammation, boost cardiovascular health, regulate cholesterol, and so much more. KPEX can bring you epic energy with no crashes, jitters, or adrenal burnout. They do have a 365-day unconditional money-back guarantee, so if it doesn't work for you, no worries, you'll get your money back. And of course, we have a special offer just for our listeners. If you go to kenergize.com forward slash IFpodcast and use the code IFpodcastKX at checkout, you'll get 20% off any package. That's K-E-N-E-R-G-I-Z-E dot com forward slash IFpodcast with the coupon code podcast K-X for 20% off any package. I'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 119 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And Jen. Yes. So how many meals have you had today? <laughs> I've had zero meals today. How about you? <laughs>
1: and I've had zero snacks and I've had zero munches and I've had zero
0: anything except for coffee and water. Me too. Yep. Yeah. Fast on. <laughs> exactly. For listeners, I'm just referring briefly to our recent one meal a day debate, which just in case anybody's wondering, Jen and I are great friends and- <laughs> We had fun debating about that and didn't really think about it after talking about it. But if anybody thought that it was a little bit intense, it was not meant. (laughs) It was not meant to be that way. And we actually got a really good question though about it to clarify, which we're going to say for next week because we had a listener that did actually write in and ask us about how munching versus eating meals would affect insulin and things like that. And it was actually a really, really good question. So tabling it for now because I need to do a lot of research. (laughs) I started doing the research and realized there was a lot. So stay tuned for next week. Little plug. Awesome. But anyways, how are you today, Jen? I am very
1: good. I think we found a house. Oh my.
0: Actually, I already knew
1: that. (laughs) Well, uh, the, the, the listeners didn't. Sorry. I think we found a house. So yeah, we're look we've been looking. and you know, like I mentioned a long time ago, we were thinking about building a house, but we couldn't find a lot that we liked in the area that we liked. So we would have to move way out in the middle of away from town. and I'm <laughs> I like being in the middle of everything. So I mean, Augusta, the middle of everything is not like you know, Atlanta, the middle of everything. It's very, very different. but, yeah, so I think we found a house and We've made an offer and I will stay tuned. But listen, this is what's really fun. It has this strange little room. It was built in 1979, which is not what we were looking for. We were looking for something older because I like really old houses. But it, this one's just charming. And I showed the picture to some friends. They're like, that looks like the Brady Bunch house. <laughs> I'm like, you know, the front kind of does remind you of that a little. It's not like that on the inside. It's just it's charming and I love it. But when you come in the front door, so imagine a house built in in the you know, the late 70s that might remind you of the Brady Bunch. To the left of the foyer is this little room that might have been like an atrium kind of a thing, but it's itty bitty. And the current owner has like a treadmill in there, but it's little. It's like just a little bit bigger than the treadmill. And I walked in and I'm like, podcast studio? (laughs) Because it's got big windows on the front. It's like three windows, okay? So I could look outside at the greenery, but it's like a little the size of like a closet practically. That makes me so happy. I know.
0: So you could soundproof it too. I'm sure that wouldn't be difficult. Like so that no sound gets in. Yeah. Like I'm sure it would be really easy to make it very legit and it probably wouldn't be that expensive. All things considered.
1: Well, I can't make it look freaky because it's right there off the entry and you could see it maybe even from the outside. It needs to look, you know. I don't want to have like batten board, whatever the stuff on the wall, but we'll see. I don't know. Maybe it'll be fine the way it is. But anyway, yeah, I'm so excited about the possibility of a podcast studio
0: in my home. That is really exciting. It is so exciting. Yeah. So what's new with you? I'm actually speaking of podcast studios. I'm now researching studios around me because, you know, I just moved back to Atlanta because I got an offer to produce... A, another pretty major audiobook, but they want me to do it at a studio, so I'm like researching studios. Ooh, I love that idea. Yeah. Do it at a professional studio. Yeah. I mean, because they just want me to record it, not edit it or anything. Right.
1: When I recorded my book, I did it at a radio station with somebody who um, is a professional.
0: Oh, that's interesting. A radio station. That makes sense. Because they have all, and he did the editing for me. That makes sense. Yeah. I actually – something else really random. So all my recent obsessions that you know about. Yes. I just ordered so many grounding mats, grounding sheets, (laughs) grounding everything because I got – I don't know. I think I told you I got like an EMF meter. Right. (laughs) To like measure things. Those grounding things actually really, really work. So you can tell a difference? Yeah, so because I had one I had one grounding mat when I take my EMF meter thing and put it, so if I'm like standing by my grounding mat and then I put it by something that's really high voltage or creating a lot of electricity, it like spikes through the roof. but then all I have to do is touch the mat and it goes to like zero. Wow.
1: Now see, that's interesting that that shows that something is happening. Yeah. (laughs) You know, when you have a meter and you're measuring it, I mean, definitely something is happening. Very much
0: definitely. So I was like, wow, this is really effective. I mean, because I've been walking around my apartment with the meter and seeing what spikes it. But now that I know those grounding mats are really effective, so I ordered so many more (laughs) <laughs> and now I and now I feel like I'm sitting on one right now and it just feels so good. And like before this, I always felt anecdotally, I felt like, oh, I really feel very, you know, zen right now, but it's probably all in my head. But I don't know, looking at this meter.
1: Well, you know, we are all energy. We've talked about this before. We are energy and we do have charges and you, you know, touch someone and have static electricity and you know, that's the charges equaling out. You know, that that is not mumbo jumbo. We are, Do you have charges? And based, you know, on the the theories of grounding, that's why walking on the beach barefoot feels so good.
0: You know, you're drawn to it because it's good for you. Or walking, especially outside after a thunderstorm, because it has something to do with how... The charges... I mean, I really
1: think that when something feels really good to us, there's a reason. You know, like when it's been winter and and now it's spring and you go outside on that spring day and you're wearing a tank top and you feel the sun on your arms and it feels so good. I mean, that's your body saying, oh, yay, get
0: some sun on your arms. Or like when you can feel the energy of somebody in a room, you know, like if somebody – especially when there's like tension or if there's like tension an argument – I mean, I feel like there's something – you really – you feel it. You feel it. So, yep, for listeners, I will put links in the show notes to the grounding mats that I have verified as being effective. Well, I'm going to the beach tomorrow, so I will just walk on the sand barefoot.
1: Yeah, I'm really – although, the last time I went to the beach, it was early June, and it was hot. And I was trying to walk to the water barefoot through the hot sand, and it, like, burned my feet so bad that it, like, hurt. So, you can only walk down on the wet sand at this time of the year at Myrtle Beach barefoot. Just a little tip. Yeah, or at night. That's right, in the middle of the day. Because I was like, I'm going to go without my shoes. Because we'd been going in the spring when it wasn't so hot. And Lordy Marcy had about burned the bottoms of my feet off. Anyway, but I will walk safely on
0: the beach. So you get your natural grounding. Absolutely. Matte grounding. I also ordered grounding sheets, but I haven't tried those yet. So, yeah, I remember seeing
1: those when I was researching grounding a while ago. I mean, it's been years, it's maybe 10 years ago or, or something like that that I was researching it for the first time.
0: It's very interesting. All right, shall we jump into everything for today? Yep, let's get started. All right, so to start things off, we have an email from James, and the subject is yet another IF benefit, exclamation point. (laughs) And James says, hi, I've noticed a completely unexpected benefit of fasting that I haven't heard you mention yet, although I am only up to episode 35 so far. I have been IFing for about six weeks and loving it, but have been nail biting for around 30 years. I've tried to give up frequently, but never make it. However, since fasting, my nails are growing without me even thinking about it. It could be due to not needing to put my hands near my mouth as often, improve self-discipline by following IF rules, improve self-esteem from the weight loss, or I might be so worried about breaking my fast that I daren't risk eating anything. I'm very curious to hear if you have heard of this benefit elsewhere. Thanks, James. All right, nail-biting. Have you seen this in the groups, Jen? No one has
1: ever mentioned it in the groups that I can remember, but I have always been a nail biter. And now I'm not biting my nails. So (laughs) isn't that interesting? Anecdotally, this is just solely anecdotal, but I used to bite my nails and now I'm not biting them. I know that sounds gross because when you think about nail biting, you know, it just seems like such a disgusting thing to do because our hands are everywhere and you're putting your hands in your mouth, you know, (laughs) yuck. But When you're a nail biter, you just
0: don't even think about it. You just do it. I was a nail biter when I was young. Probably, I mean, I don't really remember, but I mean, elementary school, middle school, well, maybe high school. I'm not sure. My nails did become really, really strong once I changed my diet, especially when I went like a paleo type diet and with intermittent fasting, my nails, like my nails were so weak growing up and awful and now they're really great. Yeah, my nails are really strong, but I was getting a manicure the other day, and even though my nails are strong, my cuticles are always they peel. The manicurist she was like, "Oh, you you used to bite your nails when you were little, didn't you?" And I was like, "How did you know?" She was like, "Oh, because the cuticles she could just tell. Apparently, when you were a nail biter, that the cuticle it like affects the cuticles for life." I was like, "I don't know if that's right. I mean, that was a long time ago. Are your cuticles do they?" Peel? No. Okay, so maybe, maybe she was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> maybe if you
1: asked everybody that question, they would just say yes because everyone bit their nails when they were a kid. I don't know. That's
0: but true. My initial thought though, James, yeah, so <laughs> I don't know like what the actual reason behind it is, but I think it is very likely that. You know, just the health benefits from intermittent fasting probably led to you know nail growth and strength there. And then, I mean, my first thought reading his email was that wasn't about the physical part, but more about the mental part because I think nail biting is often you know anxiety, yeah, like an anxiety related habit or a soothing habit. And I think with a lot of people with intermittent fasting, it really changes your mindset and your perspective on life and like the way you live your day to day life and. I don't want to call it a coping mechanism, but things that we do like that could very easily disappear, evanescent into the night, as I like to say, yep. with intermittent fasting. So, yeah, I think so.
1: Very interesting thought. But yeah, it makes sense. All right. Shall we go on to the next? Yes. Next question is from Laura. And the subject is breaking fast with keto foods to stay in ketosis. Hi, Jen and Melanie. I just recently started listening to your podcast and love the down-to-earth way you share all your knowledge and experience with intermittent fasting. I started the 16:8 plan about two weeks ago, and I'm finding it a lot easier than I thought, so I'm hoping to slowly shorten my window to reap even more benefits. I'm wondering about this, though. If fasting and the keto diet are both ways to put you into ketosis, could you break your fast with keto-friendly foods like, say, just some eggs and stay in ketosis?
0: Thanks for all you do. All right. So this is a great question from Laura. And honestly, Laura, this question really hits home for me because it's the reason I want to be keto so bad, (laughs) but I just fail. Because I feel so amazing during the fast and when I am in ketosis. Like for me, intermittent fasting puts me into ketosis really well. Like that is a really good mechanism for me entering ketosis. Me too. <laughs> and so part of me really does want to do a keto diet because I feel so amazing while fasted that I would love to just perpetuate that ketotic feeling while eating. But for me personally, I just haven't. That I can really make it work, and I seem to do a lot better in other issues like sleep. Just a lot of random things when I did have more carbs. But to answer your question about could you break your fast with keto-friendly foods and stay in ketosis? So, yes, I mean you could be eating, you know, ketogenic foods, producing ketones, so you're still in quote ketosis. I mean, you do want to understand that ketosis does not equate necessarily burning body fat. So like you would be switching the substrate of where the fat is coming from, from body fat to dietary fat. And you're not going to be completely like insulin free. I want to emphasize that because I the eating process is going to stimulate insulin release and things. If this makes sense, basically you would still be in ketosis, but it would be kind of like a different manifestation. At least that's how I've come to see it. Does that make sense, Jen? That was exactly what I was going to say, like 100% exactly. <laughs> okay. So like it's still keto, but I think people get this idea that it would be the same type of keto as fasting, but it there is still the fed state. I read something that actually I've
1: never seen this word used. I mean, maybe I had and it didn't pay attention, but it just stuck out. You know how we always read and hear about these days about exogenous ketones? Yes. I had never thought of it in this terminology before, but they called it exogenous fat versus endogenous fat. Same idea. It's what you just said. Just that wording. You know, exogenous ketones are when you drink ketones. You know, like let's say maybe you have a a brain disorder and ketones help you and you take your exogenous ketones so you have a higher level of ketones for your brain versus endogenous ketones are the ones we make when we're burning fat for fuel. So think about fat the same way. Exogenous fat is like you drank a bulletproof coffee or you ate some keto food and now you're making ketones yourself from that fat, the fat you took in versus endogenous fat is the fat on your thighs that you're burning when you're in the fasted state. I'd never seen anybody talk about it that way or it hadn't clicked if I had. So that's why, you know, we don't recommend that you have, you know, your bulletproof coffee and call that fasting because you're taking it in from an external source. Whereas our goal is not just ketones. And that's what people get confused about. I mean, unless you have you know epilepsy or a brain disorder and something that is therapeutically going to be enhanced by having even more ketones. Other than that, our goal is not just to have ketones. Our goal is to make them and to go even one step deeper. It's not just to make them. It's to make them from our body fat.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly. You summed it up exactly. Like, for example, I mean, I think it's done a massive disservice to how we perceive body fat and dieting and food that we use the word fat to describe both dietary fat and fat in our body because those are actually not the same thing. <laughs> you know, people will say, oh, eat fat to burn fat. Well, yes, you, you, you eat fat to burn that fat, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're eating fat to burn your body fat. Correct. And in fact, if you're eating a lot of fat, you are
1: literally not burning your body fat. You're using that fat instead. And that's the part that that so many people are confused about. They're like, the more fat I eat, the more
0: fat I burn. Yeah, you're burning that fat. Exactly. Because we use the word fat burning when really there's two words. There's lipolysis and there's beta oxidation. So if we could use those words all the time instead, I don't think we would have this confusion. But I mean, we're not walking around saying, oh, I'm doing some lipolysis right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what we want. We want lipolysis. Yeah, lipolysis is burning the body fat stores and creating fatty acids. Beta oxidation is burning dietary fat and creating fatty acids. Both cases, you're creating fatty acids, but the source substrate is not the same. Right, and you're going to show positive on a ketone test too. Possibly, especially if you're keto adapted and creating ketones. So yeah, and the same thing would extend to keto as well. Like Jen said, creating ketones endogenously and then getting those exogenously. Exogenously. Oh. <laughs> word for the day.
1: <laughs> we should have a word for the day every time. We should. But yeah, the goal is not just having ketones. So. It's, it's like and, – and the
0: goal is not just making them either. The goal is what are you making them from? So to answer <laughs> Lara's question, I know, Lara, we gave you a lot more information Probably to a question you weren't even asking, but I think it's there for a lot of people. But So yes, you could break your fast with keto-friendly foods and quote, stay in ketosis, but I wouldn't even call it stay in because it's kind of like you transition to a different form of ketosis. So the next question comes from Sally and the subject is pills, pills, pills. And Sally says, hey, ladies, I just spent the last month binging every episode and I'm blown away. I love what you do. And how you're doing it. But I did have a few questions. Number one. You guys often reference the fact that losing fat results in the release of toxins, but I wonder why your body would even go through the trouble of storing them. Just seems weird, I guess. That's why your body's storing them, Sally, because
1: your body's like, what is this garbage? Where can I put it? And then shoves it away. And where are they gonna put it? In your fat cells to protect you. So that's the whole thing. It's it's not weird, it's your body protecting you. And you can't always just get rid of them, like excreting them. Like that would be ideal. The goal would be any toxin that comes in, your body would just excrete it and say, you know, throw it out some way through your urine, through your sweat, through your poop, whatever, through your breath. I don't know. But that's not what your body can do. Instead, your body's like, what is this? It shoves it away and it's it's to get it safely
0: out of circulation. So basically, we have a lot of methods of detox in our body. And ways that we go about that. So, a primary one that people know is the liver. It processes toxins and often excretes them through the bile. The kidneys often also process toxins, especially water soluble ones. And then we excrete them through the urine. And then we also have our lymph system, which processes toxins and that like moves them through our body. And then we release them like via sweat and things like that. So, we have a lot of ways to deal with toxins. The thing is, today in our modern society, we are so saturated in toxins that oftentimes those organs and those systems get overburdened and can't actually deal with all of the toxins that are coming in. And when that's the case, it's going to store the excess, you know that it can't deal with in the fat cells because when they're locked up in the fat cells, they are, for lack of a better word, inert. Because they are cushioned in that fat cell, it's not until we would actually break out, break down that fat cell and re-release it that we again need to deal with that toxin. And that is the reason that a lot of people do experience like detox type reactions with fat burning, because there are toxins in that fat and they are released when the person burns fat. There's also, and I don't want to go super crazy complicated, but like in the liver, for example, there's actually various detox phases, like phase one detox, phase two detox. And things also get kind of crazy there because when the liver first deals with the toxin in phase one, that's when it actually can transform toxins into a very temporarily, actually more detrimental form that needs to then be neutralized and excreted. And if our livers are overburdened, oftentimes we get a lot of that phase one activity going. So we get a lot of breakdown of the toxins into a more toxic form, but then sometimes phase two can't keep up. And we get this like backlog situation where we have even more toxic metabolites of toxins circulating in our system. Our liver can't quite deal with them. Our body can't quite deal with them. So they create all these symptoms. And then, like I said, also get stored in fat as well. So. The body's trying to protect you. In the ideal world, it would be excreting them all the time, but sometimes we just can't do that. And that's why it's so important to support our natural detox, especially if you're doing things like fasting, supporting. You can also take certain binders and things like that to help minimize the effects of toxin release. So things like activated charcoal and other things as well. That was explained very well. So it's not weird. It's like, thank you, body. Thank you for storing them sort of. <laughs> I well, mean, you like, know, thank you for, yeah, exactly. Like everything, thank you for, that's the thing. Everything that happens with our body, our body's not intentionally trying to hurt us. Even like, you know, fat gain and, and even health issues and inflammation, it's our body trying to deal with the problem. And I think so many times it's so easy to be like, why am I having these symptoms? Why am I reacting? Why am I feeling bad? Like why body are you turning against me when really our body's on our side and it's trying to deal with the situation that it is in at that moment. And that's why it's so important to take charge of our environment and what we put in our body and fasting and things like that to really support it because it's on our side. It is. And even these crazy side effects or whatever is happening, it's happening for a reason, literally to keep you alive <laughs> every day. That's your body's goal. Exactly. Even things like Alzheimer's and the amyloid plaque buildup. There's even evolutionary reasons for that. And I think that extends to so many things. So it's fascinating. Hi, guys. So, how often do you think about your socks? If you're like I used to be, not much. But I recently discovered socks that change the way I'll think about socks forever. They're called bombas. Guys, bombas are basically the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I didn't know it was possible to be obsessed with socks, but now I am. (laughs) So they're made from super soft, natural cotton, and every pair comes with arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed that's comfy but not too thick. Who knew there could be so much going on in a sock? They also have some really cool lightweight versions that are great at keeping your feet cool, which is super important to me. You guys know how I love my cold therapy. Also, when I first heard about Bombas, I had no idea what was in store when I went on their website. They have so many colors, patterns, lengths, styles. I was actually shopping for hours. But my favorite thing about Bombas is that for every Bombas purchase you make, they actually donate a pair to someone in need. And that is honestly one of the main reasons I am so passionate about promoting this company. And of course, we've got a discount for you guys. Buy your Bombas at bombas.com ifpodcast today. And get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash IFpodcast for 20% off. Bombas.com slash IFpodcast. All right, now back to the show. All right, part two. Mm-hmm. So her second question, she says, full disclaimer, I just started fasting like a week ago, an average of 24, some days more, some days less, and it's been great so far. I feel better and I'm doing this to just be in better health overall. However, I notice I've been feeling the need to binge. Like I force myself to go in the app and close my window or else I can't stop. And I know there are so many reasons for this. Bad eating habits in the past, just getting used to the lifestyle, etc. So I was thinking I'd just give myself a little help in the beginning. I have heard about Garcina Cambogia and how it helps as an appetite suppressant. And sorry, I'm getting to my question, but I was wondering if you know anything about using these type of things. The supplement I was looking at had something called Xenocal included, which inhibits absorption of fats, which seems confusing and unnecessary. I'm lost, LOL. Do you think this will stop autophagy or break my fast or not even be worth it? I know Melanie is going to advise I let my body figure out my hunger cues, but I just want to try all the things. Ha ha. Thanks for everything you do. All right. So Jen, what are your thoughts on this?
1: I feel very strongly about this as well. And not just Melanie is going to say to let your body figure out hunger cues, but that is what I'm going to say 100%. And the key to this is that you just started a week ago. So let's think about, we talk a lot about appetite correction and, and not being as hungry you know, as your body adjusts. Let's talk about why. Why does that happen? Well, one reason is your body is well-fueled from the fast, Once you adjust, let's think about this. When your body, when you deplete your liver glycogen sufficiently and your body learns how to tap into your stored fat, your body is well fueled during the fast. You have great energy. You have mental clarity. You feel good. That does not happen for, you know, however long it takes for you. It might be three weeks. It might be eight weeks. It could be longer. It just depends on so many personal factors so when you're not tapping into your fat stores well during the fast your body is not well fueled but this is that transition period and so what manifests is you're like really really hungry when it's time to open your window and you might you know your body is like come on now feed me food what's going on Eventually, as you adapt, you're well-fueled during the fast because you're tapping into your fat stores. you flipped that metabolic switch, as it were. And that's why you're able to fast. You're able to feel great. You open your window. You eat till you're satisfied. And then you stop because your body is like, I feel great. I was fueled well during the fast. And this is all the food I need. So you can stop eating. And then you listen. And then you stop. So I think this is one reason why People tend to overeat at the beginning. It really is your body trying to adjust. And a weekend, absolutely, that's what's happening. It's still going to be happening probably for a little while after that. So the last thing you want to do is interfere in your body trying to figure all this out by putting in external appetite suppressants. You know, you want your body to to normalize all of the cues you want your leptin your ghrelin you want all that to start working like it's supposed to and so we don't want to mask our hunger hormones we want to let our body just understand why it's happening and know that your body is working through something that's that's different and new and that explains why you feel that way what do you think melanie i actually have very interesting thoughts on this (laughs) sally Oh, is it going to be different than mine?
0: I think it's going to be different than what most people think I would say, if that makes sense. Because I agree with everything you said. I think it's super important to become really intuitive, and that's what the fasting does naturally. I liked this question because it really made me think about things, and I think we tend to we look at all of these quote fat burners or appetite suppressants, and we put them all in one category of fat burners and appetite suppressants. When there's a reason certain ingredients suppress appetite, it doesn't just happen willy-nilly. There's like something going on in the body. And the mechanism of that is very, very different. And I like to think about it like, what about coffee? You know, cause we look at coffee, we use that, Oftentimes, as an appetite suppressant, and we advocate for that. So, why would we advocate for coffee and not for an appetite suppressant in pill form? Well, I could tell you why I coffee. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of good reasons, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm not helping. Yeah. with the, Yeah. Okay. I'm just laying the um. Okay. The beginning of my thesis. <laughs> so, my personal thoughts at this time, and putting it out there that. I preserve the right to change my thoughts based on new things. But with something like coffee, the reason it is oftentimes suppressing appetite is because it is upregulating, it's encouraging fat burning. So it's giving us more fuel in that fasted state. It's also doing things like raising, you know, excitatory neurotransmitters that might suppress appetite. But it does all this without actually breaking the fast. And it could be argued that the health benefits outweigh any potential negatives, like because we just see in studies and with people's experience that you know you can live long, healthy lives using coffee, using it even as an appetite suppressant, but receiving a lot of benefits. So that's reason something like coffee. I'm like totally, <laughs> I'm all good with things like appetite suppressants and pill form, like especially the pharmaceutical ones that are like oh fat burners. You know they often contain a lot of ingredients that are refined forms of compounds from plants or there might be synthetic compounds, but I think there's more of a potential with things like that for toxicity, for example. I think it's not quite as natural and it can oftentimes create like a rebound effect with something like Garcinia Cambogia. So that is actually it's a fruit rind <laughs> of the uh, Garcinia gummy gutta and it's actually been used traditionally to flavor dishes historically um for example it's used a lot oftentimes i guess in fish curries which i didn't know but the fruit itself actually does have these properties that we've seen so it ha- it does things like it's been shown to have an anti obesity effect with things that make sense including I'm reading from a study, for example, reduce food intake and body fat gain by regulating the serotonin levels related to satiety, increase fat oxidation, and decreased de novo lipogenesis. And that last one is actually is the creation of fat, basically, in the liver. It says that substances in it actually inhibit adenosine triphosphate citrate lysase, which is a catalyst for the conversion process of citrate to acetyl coenzyme A, which plays a key role in fatty acid cholesterol and triglyceride synthesis. So we do see... Oh, and then also says that the extract also has anti-diabetic, anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer, anti-helminthic. So that's going to be anti-parasite. And a lot of other properties that are actually pretty beneficial. So in this situation, we're seeing that an extract of a real plant food does possibly have benefits for appetite, possibly could help. So I'm actually not completely against these types of compounds, but I don't think it's necessarily the best to run to them for appetite suppression because I think like Jen said, it's probably more beneficial, especially in the transition period. And like Sally said, she's only been doing it a week to let the body enter that fasted state, receive that natural appetite suppression. And I just think all of these other supplements and and things like that are not really necessary like we don't need them so if we don't need them i don't think it's necessary to actually bring them in but i do think especially if you've done intermittent fasting for quite a while and you do get this feeling of appetite regulation things like that i mean i don't have a problem with tinkering with things to see how they make you feel i do think it is really really difficult though to get pure sourced versions of things especially in the supplement industry i was talking with somebody on my new podcast the other day about the supplement industry and it made me really scared. and made me not want to buy any like supplements ever again,
1: especially if it's one that's trendy and supposed to be like weight loss related. Those are the ones that you're probably more likely to see the, the bad ones, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. 100%. Like if it was on Dr. Oz and and he promoted it, I mean, I don't even know if he's still doing that because I haven't watched his show in years. But back in the day, he would always promote like this one, Garcinia Cambogia was one he promoted. And I think for a while, I'm pretty sure I bought it back in the in the day. And maybe that is why I have such a bad taste in my mouth for supplements, all the ones I tried that were supposed to magically help me and never did. But, you know, it's probably that they weren't quality, like you're saying. Yeah,
0: I think that's definitely huge. If people are wondering, brands I do think do significant testing and are pretty good are Pure Encapsulations, and I reserve the right to change this, but as of right now, Pure Encapsulations and Thorn are two big brands that they do a lot of testing. That's another whole thing. A lot of the supplements, especially not the ones that do a lot of testing, they can have things like heavy metals and other chemicals and compounds in them, so it can be a little bit iffy. Yeah. And also, now
1: that we know about counterfeits on Amazon, you know, I learned about it, of course, through my own book issues. But, you know, supplements, I'm so careful about buying supplements now on Amazon, like who the seller is. Yeah, no, I exactly I agree. So, so many things to pay attention. To. That's
0: why I err on the side of taking like, practically nothing because I'm just, you know, no, same. Yeah. I and I'm always I'm really just a big advocate of getting these things from food. So like in this situation, I mean, I this Garcinia, Cambogia gummy fruit thing, I mean, I don't see that at the farmer's market. I mean, in the ideal world, I'd rather get the benefits from incorporating it in that form compared to like a supplement. But I do think supplements like these, and I would use them more as hacks, as like a biohacking type thing when you're more in tune with everything, rather than a crutch. So those are my thoughts. Was that what you thought I was going to say, or? Well, yeah, pretty much. That that
1: sounds yeah. You went in more detail, but she thought you were going to say like you know
0: one thing, and I was going to say the other, but (laughs) which I think was funny. And she did say, as far as like stopping autophagy or breaking the fast, it's hard to know. And also, a lot of the supplements are actually within gelatin capsules, and we do know that proteins, even really really tiny amounts can stop autophagy. A lot of supplements are actually formulated, especially I think it's it's either Pure Encapsulations or Thorne, but they actually formulate a lot of their supplements with leucine, which is an amino acid. So that would actually technically stop autophagy because leucine I think is one of the main amino acids that has been shown to very quickly shut down autophagy, even in really small So,
1: Yeah. I just recommend you let your body adjust really because it does get better, we promise. Once your body figures out how to fuel itself during the fast, you lose all, you know, the issues related to the fact that that you're not able to, you know, fuel
0: yourself. Before we move on to the next question, so our episode is supported in part by Juve So we love Juve and we actually just got a really good question from Sarah and I thought we would throw it in there because it does relate to Juve. And she said, hi, do you think going outside and enjoying as many sunrises and sunsets as you can would have similar therapeutic effects as red light therapy? So we just got this question. I thought that was a really great question from Sarah because Juve is red and near infrared light therapy and what we've talked about in the podcast before is that that red light is similar to what you are seeing. It's akin to the setting and rising sun, and that's one reason it can have such a circadian regulating effect, a sleep regulating effect, a mood effect, especially if you're using it in the morning, using it at night. People find that it really, really helps their insomnia or can really help with you know energy levels in the morning. In my Facebook group, which is called Paleo One Meal a Day, there was a really interesting conversation recently where people were discussing whether or not Juve gave them energy at night or helped them sleep. Most people said it really helped them sleep, but some people said it was really energizing for them. So um, if that's the case, you might want to just keep in the morning. I find that it's kind of does what needs to do at that time, like the setting and rising sun. So it's, I find it energizing in the morning and calming at night. So yes, going outside, enjoying the sunrises and sunsets, you are going to be getting that that benefit from that red light on that perspective, but you're not going to be getting the Because these are targeted therapeutic devices where you're getting intense exposure to that red light, also near infrared light, and you're getting it. It's important that you're getting it at that strength, at that dose, and very close contact to your skin. So if you're looking for the health benefits like muscle soreness or cell regeneration or increasing mitochondrial energy in your cells, you're probably not going to get that from the rising and setting sun, unfortunately. Otherwise, we could all just go outside and get all those benefits. But yeah, you're going to get so many more benefits from the actual Juve devices. Jim, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, if
1: you can get up and go spend time at sunrise and spend time at sunset, I just don't know that I would like remember to do that every day. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'd be like, oh no, I missed sunrise. <laughs> so I mean, you know, in theory there would there could be some benefits there, but I, I think it's really different from from what you get from the Juve.
0: Yeah. I think you're going to get the circadian and the mood benefits from the sunrises and sunsets, but everything else beyond that, that people use these for, especially like people see so many benefits with like arthritis or muscle pain or inflammation or, or, you know, targeted fat burning or improving your skin, you're really going to need a Juve. So for our listeners, if you go to juve.com slash IFpodcast and use the code IFpodcast at checkout, you'll receive a free gift from Juve. So definitely check that out. We love our Juves. I have- the mini, the go and the solo, and Jen has the go and the solo. Yep. Ooh, you can outfit that little podcast room with all the two panels.
1: Well, I could. Again, that's going to be really weird right there in the front entry. So, <laughs>
0: Like at night, people drive by your house and it would be this. <laughs> oh, my God. My neighbors would be like this. Are they- Do you remember the movie The Burbs? No, but I want to watch it now.
1: It was from the '90s. I might have talked about it before, but Tom Hanks was in it and Carrie Fisher. And the neighbors—they ended up being like psycho killers who were had a crematorium in their basement. I mean, it was—it's it, kind of like a spoof, kind of fun. It was a great movie. I loved it. It's really funny. Corey Feldman was in it, but the neighbors—and the, they were always suspicious of the of the neighbors on their called you know the, these creepy neighbors. And so I'll be like, <laughs> we'll buy the house, we'll move in, and then this red glow
0: will come out. And they'll be like, <laughs> I think I won't do that. Can't you see like all, all the, the neighborhood ladies like at their their tea and being like, at night they have this room and this red light comes from it. <laughs> and that see, this is right on the front of the house, this room. So I'd be
1: like, they'd be like, the burbs part two, Jen Stevens edition. Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that. Sorry. That is so great. It's such a good movie. I mean, I love that movie. And it, it's from the, the 90s, I think, or maybe the 80s. It's somewhere around in there. But there's, it shows us how much our culture has changed as far as our weight. You know, how much obesity is so much more of a problem. Because when you're watching that movie, there's a neighbor and they call him the fat guy. And he is not. Oh, I want to Google it now. Anything like today's. Yeah, but they, they're like, he's the fat guy, but he's not. And and you look at him, you're like, oh, my God, he's the fat guy? I don't know if that really would strike a chord with anyone but me, but I just really – just that stuck out to me when I was rewatching it.
0: No, I, that's, I've thought about that a lot, how much our perception has changed because I think America now that the, the baseline – Oh, it's so different. Mm-hmm. You can – I think people can be healthy at any – you know, at different weights and – there are a lot of very healthy people at higher BMIs. I do think in general, though, the higher BMIs today are from inflammatory conditions and are likely not health-promoting. So, I mean, I'm not making blanket statements, and there's nothing morally wrong with being overweight. I'm not saying that at all. And I think that's also one of the problems. But then I, I think – I'm like on a tangent. But um, I think there's also a slight disservice in – because I'm so all about body acceptance and everything. But then I think on the flip side, we get this problem or this we get the situation where we're trying to accept unhealthy conditions in light of body acceptance when there could be something that could be addressed there that could make the person healthier. Yeah. I know what you mean. I get it.
1: It's it's a sticky – I mean, I didn't feel good when I weighed 210 pounds. My, my body was – I had a lot of inflammation. And you know it's hard on my joints I wasn't sleeping well I was uncomfortable my body was not in a healthy state you know it was hard to move so you know 80 more pounds on my frame was not healthy for me and and you know just the fact that I had allergies I even had a period of time where I had hives and all of those are, are
0: you know related to inflammation yeah and I, I think we can there can be this situation where people are in these, overweight states that are related to inflammation. And then they can feel like they need to accept it because, you know, oh, body acceptance, like I should accept this when, you know, there there could be something going on and it could be very beneficial to lose the weight and be accepting of that. I think we should always be accepting of the state that our body is in because we know that it's in that state for a reason. Like we talked about earlier in the podcast, it's not doing anything to hurt us. And I think that's where the acceptance should come in you know, loving our body for what it does and loving our bodies at these different weights and knowing that they are there for a reason. But I think that's different from accepting them as the way that we necessarily need to exist permanently, if that makes sense. Well,
1: I had, I had kind of given up at that point. I got to a point where I was just like, I quit. I, you know, forget it. I'm just going to be overweight because I, I was trying so hard and I could not figure out how to lose the weight. Is it this diet? Is it that diet? And I went from thing to thing and I kept getting bigger and bigger and I tried all the supplements and I did the shots. I mean, I've talked about this before and it started to feel hopeless and like, forget it. I'm going to stop fighting my body and I'm just going to embrace that I'm overweight and I'm going to be happy in this overweight body. And and that was one thing to say, but I, I didn't feel healthy in that body and that body wasn't healthy. And I had those allergies and the hives and all the, the things that went along with it. But it was almost like I was just like, forget it. There's nothing else I can do. I can't try any harder. And then thank God for intermittent fasting because it's it's helped me with the health issues that kept me overweight. I think acceptance
0: should come out of love, not apathy.
1: You're right. And that I was I was at that point, and I was trying to love my overweight body, and. A lot of it was just that I had given up, and I was like, "Well, I'm just going to love myself. I love myself, you know, because I do love myself." But there was that whole dichotomy in my head of giving up and accepting, and that I couldn't, I couldn't fix it, you know. I, I'm, I'm stuck here, and it. it felt hopeless, you know. And I think that that a lot of people just give up, and they're like, "Never mind, it's hopeless. I quit." And then you just, but really, in the back of your head, you want to feel better. That's what it comes down to. You want to feel good in your body, and you don't have to be a small body to feel good in your body. But, but I wasn't
0: healthy in that body. I don't know. You know what I mean. Exactly. And it's like the whole cognitive dissonance theory that things, even like meditation and mantras, we can say them, but if we don't actually, if subconsciously we don't actually believe them, they aren't effective. And so that's why it's a really, it's really complicated. And you do have to, you know, Reach a sort of reality in order to actually feel that reality. So it's like a catch 22 because it's like, (laughs) how do I achieve that reality if I don't believe it? But then, but you have to believe it to achieve it. Yeah. So it's like that vicious cycle. Yeah. That's why I think it's just committing to the actions and accepting the time and knowing the changes can come and being okay with the fluctuations as they come and go. So the acceptance of the change and the acceptance of how you're feeling as not being permanent necessarily, I think that's where the gold is. So like I said, not accepting out of apathy, out of because you gave up, but accepting that I am where I am because of the factors that led to it. But things can always get better, always go up from here. Exactly. Okie dokie. Shall we move on to the next question? Yes. And this is from Stephanie and the subject is diet
1: changes for weight loss. She says, hey there, love the podcast. Going to jump straight into my question. I was listening to a podcast on Ben Greenfield Fitness where he had Dr. Dan Pompa. Is that how you say it? Pompa? Yes. On the show, specifically episode number 388. There was an interesting point made and I wondered about your thoughts on it. He talks about diet variation and how we should be changing up our routines every now and then, which basically forces our body to adapt. The adaptation leads to weight loss. So my question is... If after finally getting into a routine of IF lifestyle and diet, should we quote change things up? For example, I have been doing IF for about a month now. I started sixteen eight and have been working my way up to twenty four. I eat a good balance of fat, carbs, and protein. I haven't yet experienced any weight loss, but I also haven't been restricting at all during my eating window, i.e., eating sweets, lots of healthy fats. Dr. Pampa talks about a 5 one approach where you eat strict keto style for five days of the week, 24-hour fast one day, and then carb load all day for the final day. Have you talked to anyone that tried this approach? What do you think of consistent diet and eating windows over a long period of time versus
0: variation for weight loss? Thanks in advance and keep up the good work, ladies. All right. So great question from Stephanie. That was a really amazing episode that she referenced. I think I have it in the... Our Himalaya playlist, intermittent fasting podcast stuff we like. But it was a fascinating conversation. Dr. Pompa does have a really interesting five-one one approach where he does, like she said, have the strict keto style, and then he has basically these carb loading days. I believe, I'm not positive, but I believe the carb loading days are also, and a lot of people advocate for this, are lower fat as well. So it's like you you get the carb up benefits without going into necessarily fat storing mode of because high fat, high carb is a very easy recipe for a lot amount of a lot of fat storage, whereas these carb up days are more to fill up carb stores and glycogen stores and things like that. But as far as the variation goes and something they talked about in that episode was I think ideally, I mean there's two things that we're looking at here with variation. There's the variation of the fasting and then there's the variation of what we're eating. And I think the variation of fasting is completely awesome and okay. And I have no problem with it. Especially when people are really in tune with intermittent fasting, they may find that sometimes they want to fast longer. Sometimes they want to fast less. I know for me, it's really interesting because I was for years and a really, really good one meal a day, always like an extended fast of about 20 hours or so. And then with different lifestyle factors, things got wonky. And recently I've been playing with longer fasts and shorter fasts to see how things are. But yeah, I don't see anything wrong with trying different fasting approaches. And then as far as the food goes, I'm all for like seasonal eating. So eating with a season. So for a lot of people that looks like eating lower carb in the winter, eating, you know, more fruit and higher carbs in the summer. But I think we shouldn't purposely feel like we have to switch things up, but I think it will come naturally if we listen to our bodies and become intuitive with everything. Does that, what are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I think that's true.
1: I do it so intuitively without even really realizing that I was doing it that way. I've I've always just had days where I ate more and ate less. And so I do think that if you ate the exact same amount of food every single day, like exactly, your body is more likely to adjust. And so that is why people may find that the daily eating window approach doesn't give them the weight loss that they're looking for because they just gravitate to this habit and they they're eating the exact same amount and your body does adjust. If you want to lose weight, you have to you know your body has to be able to keep that metabolism to the level where it's able to tap into your fat stores. So personally, I naturally one day I'll have a, a social event and I'll have two meals that day. And so that naturally, you know, has a day where I ate more food. And then another day, I might be really, really busy. And then I don't have time to open my window until 630. And so I ended up with a really long fast. And then I had a short window just because it was, you know, I started eating really late for me. And so naturally, I have fallen into my days do not look exactly the same. And I think that helped a lot. But I do agree, Stephanie, that. You do want to watch out for everything just being exactly the same day to day. And if you're not somebody who naturally does that, you might need to figure out a way to do it on purpose. That's why ADF, the up and down day approach, works so well for many people. We hear this a lot in the intermittent fasting communities, people who use the eating window approach and maybe they you know, have a five hour window or use the one meal a day approach and they lose a little weight, and then they just don't lose anymore. They're just not losing weight at all. And they start, you know, shrinking their window and eating less and less and less, and they're still not losing weight. Well, that's when you really do see, yeah, you do need to switch things up. And so the up and down day approach is a great way to do that. So that looks like, you know, one day you have what's called a down day where you do either a full fast or eat, purposely eat a small amount. And then the next day, you have what's called an up day. And on that day, you can eat all day if you want to. You can have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Most people have a hard time making themselves do that, which is what's funny. People tend to have to make themselves eat a little more on the up days. But the part of the up day that is so important is that you are eating more on those days. And that keeps your metabolism upregulated because we know with studies on human metabolism, overfeeding causes your metabolism to go up. And so balancing the underfeeding days with the overfeeding days is what is really useful with that sort of a, of a pattern. So, you know, for anybody who's just doing 19.5, 22-2, whatever, and you're doing the same exact thing every single day, and then you're not seeing any progress, you know, shake it up. I 100%. And, you know, the longer I have worked with people in the Facebook groups, the more I realize the importance of this. And So much of my book, Delay, Don't Deny, was written based on just my own personal experience and the people in the group. But that was in 2016. And we had, you know, what, 3,000 people in the group? And now we have, you know, a couple hundred thousand combined members. So we have a whole lot more experience to draw from. And people who need to shake things up, they really do see that that makes a difference when they switch to that up and down day pattern. You know, it really is the magic bullet for a lot of people, which is hard, though, because the consistency of the having the same daily eating window feels so good. You know, maybe that's going to be somebody's maintenance approach, but it might not be their weight loss approach. But I, like I said, I naturally have up days and down days just because of the pace of my life. So I think that's helped me not have that adaptation just because
0: I have that natural variation. Yeah, and I do have one follow-up thought that made me think about And that's the fact that I think a person's baseline insulin sensitivity also probably comes into play because I think for some people, and I think I've experienced this myself personally recently, and that's the fact that if you are pretty insulin sensitive, I think these periods of overeating will naturally lead to a compensatory natural desire to eat less and we see that in studies a lot with rodent studies have shown that that, you know, when they're forced fed to overeat, then they naturally go into this, this fasted pattern and eat less. And I think when you're very insulin sensitive, that happens very easily. On the flip side, I think for people who do struggle with insulin insensitivity and problems with blood sugar regulation and overstoring fat, that actually the reverse can still happen, that they will have this period of overeating and that actually just creates more hunger and doesn't have the anticipated or the wanted effect of suppressing appetite. And so I think that makes things slightly complicated. And I know I keep mentioning this, so I won't go into it in too much length, but I do think also what you're overeating with also affects things. So like overeating on protein, for example, or things like saturated fat – even carbs, those should probably ultimately have an appetite suppressing effect. Whereas things like I've talked a lot now about polyunsaturated fats and going hardcore on that overeating could actually lead to more inflammation and actually reduced metabolism, which is very complicated. So I think if you are purposely trying to eat a ton to boost metabolism, for some people, it's important to look at what you are eating when doing that. Because I don't want it to seem like, oh, just eat all the things all the time that will automatically boost my metabolism and be great. For some people, that might work. For others, it might actually encourage more insulin desensitivity. What's the word? Insensitivity? Insulin resistance. Right. It might actually lead to insulin-resistant problems, inflammation, and we don't want any of that. So it's a very complicated topic as per usual, but- yeah, I wish you the best. I just know like for me historically, I feel like in the past there was a period of time where I was very insulin sensitive and whenever I would over, you know, eat more, and this was before I would, I wasn't really eating polyunsaturated fats at all. If I would eat more, it would come in the form of eating more protein or eating more like saturated fat from like coconut oil or something like that. And I would automatically like not be hungry for the longest day. Like the, the, next, the next night I'd always be like, I don't even really want to eat. But then when I started eating more, polyunsaturated fats and nuts. And I think things that my body doesn't tolerate so well, I would think that I was going to be, you know, not hungry the next day, but I, I still, it seemed to just make me more, more ravenous. So it's really interesting and it's very unique and very individual. Any final thoughts on that question? Nope. I think that was a good sum up. All right, well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So, like I mentioned, we are a Himalaya partnered show. And if you go to Himalaya, that is an app where you can get access to our podcast 24 hours in advance if you follow us. So, definitely check that out. And then, definitely check out that playlist Intermittent Fasting Podcast stuff we like to get access to all of the episodes from other podcasts that I really like. I'm pretty sure I have that episode there with Dan Pompa and Ben Greenfield. If not, I will add it. But there are a lot of other really amazing episodes there as well. It's kind of exciting because I feel like now looking at that playlist and a lot of the speakers and the you know guests on it, they're people that I might be bringing on my new podcast. So, so much fun. Which, Jen, I, I think I changed the name again. <laughs> oh, no. Can you say what you think it might be? Yeah, I think now, now I think I'm going to do the Melanie Avalon podcast. All right. I did a poll on my Facebook and like hundreds of people commented and it was literally 50-50. I think the most amazing takeaway from that thread, guess what somebody said? What? They said, flip a coin, not because you'll do what the coin says, but because when it's in the air, you'll know your answer. You'll find the one you want. Oh, I love that. You'll be like wishing for one of them. I was like, wow, it was life changing. I didn't even have to do it. I just had flipped it in my head and I was like, oh, you're right. It works. So, little tip and trick for people. Although ironically when I did it, I was thinking Melanie Avalon show, but then I read all the arguments and I actually now like the Melanie Avalon podcast for certain reasons. But in any case, that will be launching soon and a few other things for listeners. You can follow us on Instagram and we're really trying to get our Instagram going now, getting it more motivational. We're going to be posting more studies, more motivational memes, funny things. So hopefully it'll be an Instagram that people can really turn to and we can form more of a community there. So definitely follow us there. We are IF Podcast is our handle. You can also follow us on Twitter, which I'm really bad with Twitter, but Twitter is okay. the IF pod. <laughs> me too, me too. Yeah. I feel like Twitter is more like political. I don't know. It's not really my world as much. I never understand how to follow it. <laughs>
1: I actually lost my original Twitter because someone, like, stole it, put their photo there. Like, Jen Stevens is somebody else, and it's clearly not me, and I couldn't get it back because I no longer had that email.
0: I remember that. That's crazy. Although, I still want to get Jack Dorsey on our podcast, the Twitter guy. Oh, yeah. That would be fun. I would love it. He does one meal a day. Lastly, if you want to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast, or you can go to our website, like I said, ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions there. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. Jen, I hope you enjoy your one meal a day tonight. I'm going to. Yeah. (laughs) I will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember... The opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.